Hello and welcome to Goring Guilty Podcast. I'm Georgia. And I'm Greg. And this week we will be doing a paranormal spooky episode. Greg will be leading this case. What are we going to be talking about today, Greg? Today I'm going to be talking through Battersea Poltergeist. And it is a spooky one. Normally when we do a spooky uh, paranormal episode, we have some element of crime. Yeah. I don't think there really is much element of crime to this one, but it was recommended to us by one of our lovely listeners, Claire. So that's why we, we picked it up. And in fact, we asked people to recommend paranormal episodes and we got loads and loads of suggestions yeah. so if everyone's wondering where those episodes are they're on a list we'll do them eventually maybe yeah we'll get through them for sure i don't think i know very much about the battersea poltergeist yeah so yeah that's a good point there's some good context here the bbc have done an entire podcast series on the battersea poltergeist oh, and cool. that's where most of the information for this has come from but they've got about 10 episodes and wow so it's pretty extensive yeah whereas we you know do a different episode each week so we've got to sum everything up in an hour or less which is always a bit of a challenge so there must be a lot of information on it which there is but they a lot of the research they did was like primary research so speaking to the victim Uh... and uh you know speaking to like experts and stuff like that so it was super interesting, but they the other thing is they also recreated it. They did like a dramatic, like reading, I guess. And, oh wow! Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At first, when I was just trying to research this episode, I was like skipping through the dramatic parts, but then I just got sucked into it. So I really enjoyed that too. Oh, <laughs> that's really good. I highly recommend it to anyone that listens to this and is like, oh, this does sound interesting because. Like I said, they've got like nine episodes, so they're probably more thorough. For sure. That sounds really good. But it's interesting It's interesting you asked me specifically what we're doing today, because I've been listening back to old episodes lately. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> seeing what it's like from the other side of the fence. And one of the things I've noticed that we do, which cracked me up, is sometimes <laughs> for no... For a reason I don't think we've ever established, we're quite coy about what we're going to be talking about. So... We oh d- my we God, do, we're so we? secretive. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm clicking on the episode with the name. <laughs> like, like it's some big surprise. And everyone's clicked on it already. The title is what we're we talking about. <laughs> normally like a full Instagram post about what we're doing. And we're just there like, oh, I won't say yet. <laughs> oh, leave you in suspense. Oh, go on, let them... Let's take them out of their misery. (laughs) Oh my god, we do we do that every time. I literally did it today. I went, oh, so we're talking about spooky. Oh, do you want to share what we're talking about? Everyone already knows. (laughs) It's so funny. It's like we're trying to be really mysterious whether it's on the actual podcast, but when we Oh yeah, it just cracked me up. I thought I'd mention that. Oh, that's so funny. That's so true. Oh my gosh. Oh no. I think we've just got to still do it. We've got to keep keep it going. Oh, now. absolutely. It's tradition now. It's tradition <laughs> yeah. to add inexplicable mystery. <laughs> Today is yeah. the exception. Yeah. Bef- before I start talking about Battersea and Poltergeists well, or Geists or whatever the pronunciation is, do you want to... Well, I was going to say, do you want to tell me how you are? I guess I'll just ask the question. How are you? <laughs> I'm... I'm very good, thank you. I'm nursing a little bit of a hangover. I went out last night with some friends I hadn't seen in years. Um, We had such a good time. I went out clubbing, which I haven't done that. I was working out. I hadn't been out in a club situation. I've been to like raves and gigs and festivals and things like that. But since leaving uni, which was about two years ago, two and a half. Get out, really? That long? I know, it's been... time has flown by but i think i've been out clubbing once this was like my second time which i blew my mind yeah for people that don't know georgia used to be a club fiend on the dance floor (laughs) every weekend (laughs) (laughs) but i yeah had a great time dancing and boogieing to the music how how did it how did it feel to be back? Um, good. I did feel slightly old, though, which I... <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah. Oh. I, 
I've been to a couple of clubs recently and felt the exact same. Just like slight. Everyone got yeah. younger. Like what's going but, on? <laughs> yeah, because we're not we're not old, but I did. There was just like an element of, you know, like oh, maybe I. Yeah, I am getting on a little bit. Like you know, people giggling or like there's dramas and there's fights or there's like people throwing up in the corner and. Yeah, I'm like, oh no, I'm, maybe I'm, I've grown out of this now. Probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. I'll, we'll still be clubbing into our 40s, I'm yeah, sure. Definitely. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I didn't go out last night, but I'm still feeling the effects on my Friday night. <laughs> and yeah, other than that. That's also because we're old now, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. I used to never get hangovers no, either. I used to just get up the next day and be ready. I would be pretty uh, pretty frustrating because, yeah, Greg would be all, like, chirpy in the morning. I'm like, oh, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah. No, those days are kind of going away now, sadly. I mean, I still try, and then I just, but there's just more regret yes. when I wake up. I'm like, oh, what happened? Absolutely. Um, I think it also... It gets it gets a it gets a little less cute the further into your twenties you get, isn't it as well? Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, that's good. I was going to give an update on a case we covered that we actually posted an Instagram update, but there's an update to that update. Yes. I'm doing it again, aren't I? I'm making Ooh. it mysterious when it doesn't need to be. <laughs> I wonder. What you we'll unveil who it is in three, two. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the the update is uh, on Claudia Lawrence. Oh, we covered her in say, episode twelve, and uh, it's a really interesting case of disappearance. Um, police had a new lead, so they drained a lake where they thought she might have, you know, been left. That's a bit of a uh, graphic. Or they tragic. definitely think that it's a, a murder case, don't they? Mm. Rather than just. You know that she may return, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I mean, the investigation was kind of a bit all over the place because one one of the things they did was look into her maybe being in Cyprus. So, yeah, of course. Yeah, do you remember that? We did talk about that on the episode. Yeah, yeah people. Yeah, we haven't did. listened. Go and listen to that one. It is a good one. It's a really good one. It was really interesting, um, and lots of theories because obviously it is still an open case. Um, an unsolved mystery so yeah there's loads of theories at the end of what possibly could have happened but to to drain a lake they they searched um the surrounding woodland area as well yeah must it must have been a big tip off or they you know they they strongly thought that this could have been possibly where she was because there's a lot it takes a lot of effort to drain a big lake like that that was that was um, but yeah, they said they found nothing of obvious significance. Wow. I suspect that this case will go on for a, a long time now because one of the things from that episode was that uh, the police felt quite confident that it had something to do with her lifestyle. Yes. And that she kind of lived almost a little bit of a secret life at times. So they probably will constantly get drip-fed leads because a lot of the the men in Claudia's life didn't want to disclose like full information about their relationship and stuff like that. So as time goes on, yeah, we'll have to more see. Secrets are probably revealed. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, should we go into all things creepy and paranormal? Yes, let's. Okie dokie. So yes, this week is a paranormal case. And the case that we're doing is the Battersea Poltergeist. That, as I mentioned before, we asked for recommendations on paranormal cases. We got great ones from all over the world, but I went with one that's a little closer to home because for people that aren't aware, Battersea is in the UK, near London, I think. Not yes. hundred percent sure. So yeah, I based most of the research for this case off the nine-part series podcast that the BBC did, but. I'll admit, I haven't listened to every single part of that. Like I said, I had to skip through a lot of the dramatic bits anyway. Um, and it did mean that researching this episode was a bit of a challenge. Right. Um, and Yeah, because basically, because the BBC did a podcast on it, all the mainstream press have done pieces, you know, articles and stuff, but they all say the exact same thing. 
Right. So it's, like, <laughs> it's all based on this one podcast, basically. Yeah. So because they're always trying to they're trying to summarize nine part series themselves. So yes. every time you Google Battersea Poltergeists, it's like the Sun, the Mirror, all these crappy newspapers, and they all just repeat the exact same thing to try and get to the top of the Google search ratings. Yeah. So they did make because I don't know about you, Georgia, but I normally prefer to. Uh, to be fair, quite often now I'll watch a documentary on the case if there is one, but I normally quite like reading. I usually read read through. Like I like to use loads of different. I, I like to uh, read th- read through and research loads of different like articles and things before I collect my thoughts before ha- how I'm gonna work out how the episode is gonna be played. And I also like going on YouTube and watching like little clips or interviews or or thing people speaking about it. But yeah, YouTube is really good for yeah. podcast research. Um, so this case is a bit of a historical one, actually. Ooh. Now, I maybe gave something away when I said that the BBC speaks to the victim, but she's quite elderly now. But when all things Battersea Portergeist kicked off, it was all the way back in 1956. Wow, okay. So, back then, Shirley Hitchings was a 15-year-old teenage girl. She'd just left school and was hoping to go to art school. She lived with her father, Wally, who was a tube driver, as well as her mother, Kitty, and older adopted brother, John, at 65 Wycliffe Road. Oh, what amazing names, Wally and Kitty. Those are good names, actually, aren't they? It's yeah, brilliant. I feel like Wally's short for something, I just can't remember what. Wallace. Wallace? Is that right? Yeah, cool. I think so. Kitty, that's what, Catherine? Catherine, that that one I think you can have a lot of... A lot of names, I think, can be shortened to Kitty. Or just Kitty is is the name. Yeah, yeah, you could be I was going to say Cat, and then I realised that's shorter than Kitty anyway. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) adding more syllable. (laughs) Kittington or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the case kicks off on what was described as an otherwise ordinary day. That was until Shirley returned to her bedroom and there she found a simple silver key resting on her pillowcase. Ooh. I guess, you know, that seemed innocent enough to Shirley. However, none of her family recognised this key did not fit in any cupboard or door in the house. The situation with the key kick-started one of the UK's most notorious haunted tales, as after that event, a poltergeist took up residence in Shirley's family home that very same day. Ooh, dramatic. So, yeah, the timeline is as follows. Shirley comes home, finds key, everyone's confused. But then at that that same night... The whole family and their neighbours were woken up at 2am to the sounds of horrendous banging coming from the walls and under the floors. Ooh. Yeah. Spooky. The bang... Yeah, imagine that, just waking up to just non-stop banging oh, of walls. Oh, that yeah, I yeah. psych myself out most nights. <laughs> when lights go out, I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> it's going to be yeah. <laughs> some ghostly activity. I, I hear, like, my upstairs neighbours creak the floor and I freak out a little bit, <laughs> like, oh my god, what's that? Let alone some unexplained, clear banging, just constantly walls just being, like, Two in the smacked. morning, Ugh. no thank you. <laughs> Not for me, please. Uh, the banging lasted for weeks. When the na- On the first night, though, when the neighbours turned up at Shirley's family door, because obviously they've been woken up by this weird noise and they're wondering what on earth it is. Yeah. Her father, Wally, called the police because he didn't really know what else to do. Yeah. The police arrived the next day, but as you can imagine, they were kind of dismissive. And Shirley recalled how one police officer who visited said, and she quotes, I think you've had a bit too much cocoa in this house. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, calling them a bit cocoa-loco. Mm. Sassy. Indeed. Classic British... Um, As time went on, the banging did not stop. 
and the actions of the presence became increasingly severe. Not only were things becoming more menacing, but they began to focus on Shirley specifically. Even in the daytime, pots and pans would come flying off the wall or stove. Sometimes these would be flung at the family members themselves. No. Yeah. Lights would turn on and off inexplicably. Ooh. When, sh- yeah. when Shirley would move around the house, a tapping sound seemed to follow her. Objects would move of their own accord. Well, obviously, because pots and pans have been flying around. <laughs> but also a, a clock fell from a shelf. Ooh. Um, I feel like I'm just listing things, but honestly, it's the, the, this is all, yeah, yeah, I, all it's of what so Shirley relevant. said. Yeah. Shirley said that a pile of tea towers with set alight and slippers moved around the room with no one wearing them. There are even photos from this case, which I will upload as part of the Instagram post, um, of scribblings on the wall and of the family home. One reportedly said, Shirley, I come. Ooh, ominous. Yeah. On <laughs> on one night, Shirley. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. It sounds like whatever it is is already there. Like, have you got there? Yeah. Should have been. I came. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's there, there's so many questions. I don't. I, maybe you know. Maybe you'll explain later down the line. But like, how it all started with a key and like. How did it just appear one night, like suddenly, like poof, there's now a poltergeist? It just seems peculiar. It does, and I mean, the question throughout this one will always be, was this really the work of some paranormal apparition or poltergeist, or was there a human factor here? But without going into all the details, um, if there is a human factor, they've done a bloody good job of convincing a family that well, they're working magic, basically, if, if pans are being flown around and uh, slippers are being moved with multiple witnesses freaking out. Definitely. On one night, Shirley was even thrown out of her bed and the covers were ripped off of her. She'd frequently hear scratching at her own headboard, too. Ooh. Which, to me, seems like a real-life poltergeist, a uh, real-life horror movie. Yeah, for sure. So, so that's so spooky. So what was that one where the premise? God, I haven't watched a horror movie in years, which is yeah. bad because I love them. But uh, it's like a family that sets up its own cameras because pa- paranormal, paranormal activity. Acti- yeah, paranormal yeah. activity. I used to love those movies. We spend so long waiting for something to happen, but it's so creepy the whole time. It's the suspense that kills me. It was like. Yeah, I I just find like horror movies that are, are, evolve around like spirits and ghosts and paranormal stuff. They they're the ones that creep me out the most. Like I love them but I hate them. <laughs> yeah, all the psychological stuff like the waiting. Oh. Not sure if you're seeing stuff like oh what's that happening in the background? Something's going to jump nothing. out. <laughs> yeah. Prophecy. I uh, the other good one that's that kind of thing is the Blair Witch product project if you've ever seen that yes that's good as well that's suspenseful I'm not even I remember watching it thinking afterwards that like I'm not even sure anything ever happened really until the end that's and what that, I thought yeah you just come because it's like well giving any spoilers away it's like in a woods and I feel like you're just looking for stuff in the background like oh my god is there someone there as soon as you relax that's when they get you yeah, I loved it though. It was a good film. I think Haunting of Hill House is probably by far my favourite series or horror series that I've ever seen. Oh, that is a good one. That is a good one. We watched that together, didn't we, on Netflix? Yes. Yeah, we all watched it um, as a house um, at uni. And one of our friends that was out clubbing, I think, that night. And we all decided to watch like five episodes, like back to back. And it got to the point where none of us wanted to leave the room because it was like, two three in the morning and we were waiting for our friend to come home just so that we could all go to bed because none of us wanted to leave (laughs) (laughs) oh so funny i just remember him coming into the room and we all just like look up at him behind like all the duvets and blankets we've got in there like (laughs) can we help us (laughs) protected 
looking at it through closed fingers. Yes. Closed hands. Yeah, that's it. Oh, it was so good. Really oh, that series was that. so creepy. That was. I think it's, I won't go into details because I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. But there is so one point in one of the later episodes where I just <laughs> shit a brick. It was honestly terrifying. I remember this moment. So you guys had all watched ahead that episode. I won't spoil it. Don't worry. Um, and I decided to watch it in the sitting in the yeah in the sitting room with um my headphones, and I was watching it so intensely, watching the little screen on my laptop. And it happened, and I screamed so loudly that people <laughs> on the third floor could hear the scream. I just so wasn't expecting it. <laughs> oh, so yeah. Those are the worst ones. Something jumps, and you don't get really it. really got me. So good. But yeah, sorry, uh, we digress. <laughs> yeah, we got it. I could easily talk about horror films and horror series <laughs> all day, but yeah. for now, back to Battersea in the early or the mid 20th century. So, yeah, all of these weird things are happening. Pots and pans are being thrown around. Shirley's being chucked out of her own bed. There's fires. And goodness goes, knows what's happening. It's just relentless in their Battersea house. So to those in the house, it became pretty evident that they were living with a poltergeist. And I'll explain why in a bit more, in a bit more detail later. But the poltergeist was named Donald by oh. Shirley and her family. Okay. Donald. Yeah, Seems quite... about 70 years before he ran for president. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, they just called him Donald, but it's not the Donald. Yeah. Um, Interesting. With, with everything that was going on, though, Shirley found that the finger of blame was pointed at her by many people outside of the family for what Donald was doing. Oh. Her own father asked her at one point if she was causing the freaky activities. She flatly told him no, and he replied that that was good enough for me, as in he was satisfied that she wasn't causing this problem. And they left things there. Word on the events began to spread more widely than the family and their neighbours. Before the family knew it, Shirley and the rest of them had become front-page news. One, yeah, one newspaper print described Donald as Shirley's ghostly lover. Oh, why do they make it weird? Yeah, I don't know. She was fifteen as well. Yeah, weird, why, isn't it? Why do they do that? Yeah, <laughs> I thought they were gonna go down like the imaginary friend route or like just innocent, no. but no. They, they wanted a romance. <laughs> All all the attention from outside the family and the strange ongoings in the home began to seriously impact Shirley's life in a negative way. Friends left, and she never had a boyfriend, which she felt was embarrassing. I'd I'd personally say, you know, don't need no man, but whatever. Um, (laughs) Shirley's grandmother, Ethel, also lived with the family, and she was convinced that Donald was the devil himself. Ethel... Ethel threw holy water over Shirley at one point and held up a cross. But Shirley described how that only sent Donald into a rage, where the crucifix went flying across the room and the curtains got shredded. Oh my goodness. That sounds Mm. really scary. (laughs) Terrifying. Yeah. But Ethel didn't try that again. Yeah, definitely wouldn't. Ethel was apparently a prime target for the poltergeist. She at one point claimed the ghost tried to push her down the stairs. About nine months after things started, Kitty and Wally found their bed doused in alcohol. <gasps> the night after, the whole family would, were together in the bedroom. At around midnight, a message was tapped out on the wall saying, Get Ethel, please. Said Ethel, the grandmother. Yeah. Objects began to float around them. And an Irish voice, an Irish woman's voice, called out, I'm Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) I knew. There was a pause then. I knew. I knew you were going to try it. (laughs) I had about one second to decide. (laughs) That wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> Maybe I can, I can, 
in the moment I was I had like one second to weigh up. If I try the Irish accent, is this going to kill all creepiness about this episode? Yeah. Right. I'm going to try that. We should leave this in, but I'll, I'll go back. And yeah. um, yes. So they're all in the bedroom. It's the night after they found the bed, uh, Kitty and Wally's bed doused in alcohol. Objects are floating around them. And a message has been tapped out on the wall saying, get Ethel, please. An Irish voice, an Irish woman's voice called out. I'm Sarah. I have a message for you. <laughs> I'm Sarah. I have a message for you. <laughs> a distraught distra- Ethel was talking to the voice, shaken and clearly able to recognise the voice. Oh. Ethel then left the room terrified. When, Sh- when Shirley asked her father who Sarah could be, he replied, her mum. No. Yep. Oh and only, my goodness. Yeah, apparently Ethel was impacted by this, like over the next few days, like clearly this was on her mind and she carried it for a long time. Until until only a few months later when Ethel had a stroke that she never recovered from. Oh no. Mm. Oh my goodness. This case, so spooky. Pretty wild, isn't it? Yeah, really wild. This this goes on for years, and none of it's that isolated, so... Yeah. If someone was doing this, then they were doing a bloody good job. They were persistent. (laughs) Mm. Wow. One of Wally's co-workers, so Wally is the father, one of Wally's co-workers told him that his wife was a medium. He offered to help Wally get rid of Donald's. Shirley spent five days at their house, and she described how they, quote, put their hands on my head and talked in strange voices. Despite wanting to go home, it only ended when the whole exercise was interrupted by the police. Shirley and her dad were even taken in for questioning. You might be wondering why. (laughs) Yeah, (coughs) definitely. The police had received a report that the devil was being summoned. So it's oh. kind of like that period in the States where loads of people thought that Satan worshippers were causing S- trouble. Satanic panic. Uh, satanic panic, that's the badger. Yeah. And yeah, I think, uh, well, maybe people heard these weird voices being shouted and it it's... got them worried or equally plausible yeah. yeah, they just interrupted and were like, this looks too weird, we're taking them all in. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. I can see that, definitely. This, uh, yeah, this is so strange that this is all like real as well, it's not like a like a story, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's Yeah, like... sounds like a film, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. It literally does, like being arrested for, like the police think you're summoning the devil <laughs> when you're just trying to exercise yourself or whatever it's called. Yeah. So Shirley and her dad were both taken in for questioning. And that was, like I say, because the police received a report that the devil was being summoned. Shirley looked back on the incident, sadly. She's quoted as saying, Dad was in one room, I was in another, and they fired so many questions at us, it made us feel guilty. Even though they hadn't really done anything, yeah. to be honest. They probably, you know, for you know, long time they've been kept awake at night and all these other things going on. They're just trying anything, aren't they, to just make it stop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, the issue ends up being debated all the way in the House of Commons. No That's way. the English Parliament, for people unaware. Um, but yeah, after that happened because Shirley and Wally's local MP demanded an apology from the police on behalf of the couple and their family. Oh, wow. However, the Home Secretary at the time, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation of, Gwilym Lloyd George, insisted that black magic is an offence at common law. It is an offence. That's what he claimed. I don't think it's actually an offence. Like I presume we don't have laws against black magic, but... I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah he, didn't, he didn't give them an apology, basically. But it's at this point that one of the key players in this narrative enters. Because 
as you can imagine, if it's being debated at the uh, in the House of Commons and all of that stuff, it's getting quite a lot of attention uh, from varied people. Absolutely. Harold Chibbets was a ghost hunter. Ooh. And in the BBC podcast, he acts as the key protagonist. So he's the one that's kind of... You've got Shirley and you've got Harold. They're kind of the two key key people in the story that the BBC tells. Yeah. And the reasoning for that is that Harold Chibbett's notes on the case remained intact and they still are intact to this day. Um, because upon his death, uh, Shirley and her husband, spoiler alert, she gets married, uh, <laughs> went to claim the case files before storing them in their home. Um, but Shirley says she never looked at the notes as she didn't want to relive those memories. Oh, wow. After reading the newspaper reports, Harold Chibbert turned up on the family's doorstep offering his services. He told Wally, if you give me five minutes, I'll explain everything. But he ended up staying for three hours that day. Harold Chibbert was a tax inspector in the day, and by night he was a ghost hunter. (laughs) (laughs) Quite quite the range, isn't it? Brilliant. (laughs) Oh, so good. That's one hell of a business card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was it was actually Chibbett that told the family he believed Donald was a poltergeist. Yeah. For those unfamiliar, although I don't imagine many people will be, a poltergeist is a ghost or other supernatural being supposedly responsible for physical disturbances, such as making loud noises and or throwing objects around. Yeah. Chibbett told Shirley, it starts with young girls like you, and that's likely a reference to a belief that poltergeist activity is triggered by young people going through puberty, since they're considered to have the purest life energy that feeds the poltergeist. Ooh. That's a bit creepy, isn't it? That's yeah. really creepy. <laughs> really. A bit creepy for him to tell her that as well. Yeah, I thought that was, yeah, very, very creepy. So Harold Chibbett to the family quickly became Mr. Chib. Mr. Chib. Mr. Chib. A rogue nickname, but um, well, not rogue. I can fully see why they called him that. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll just keep calling him Mr. Chib from now on. Mr. Chib. And uh, he'd visit regularly, and he'd spend most nights sleeping in the family's kitchen before heading off to work the next day. Why the kitchen? I presume they didn't have any spare beds or rooms. This this guy just like committed to this family so much. So going back to whether or not this is an actual poltergeist or a person, you're fucking over a guy quite a lot if you're a person doing <laughs> all of this. Like, this guy's got guy. a family yeah. and a job and he's sleeping on your kitchen floor to try and figure out what's going on. It's psych, it's all a prank. <laughs> Years in the making. Oh my Thank goodness. Patrol. Yeah. Lesson. Oh. One of the first things Mr. Chib tried to do was to open up communication with Donald. According to Shirley, he'd bring cards with letters on them in an effort to give Donald a channel to communicate. It wasn't effective, though, as Donald would often throw the cards about wildly. Eventually, Mr. Chib supposedly got through to the ghost. He offered a pen and paper on which the ghost scribbled Again, surely I come. Donald Donald complained about the pen, though, wanting a quill instead. I guess that suggested that whatever Donald was, he predated pens. Yeah. It got to a point where Mr. Chib was receiving entire letters outlining Donald's history and who he was. Wow. Now, I haven't managed to get through every single letter, but my understanding is one claim that Donald made was that he was the Dauphin Louis Charles, who uh, I believe was heir to the French throne at one point, or heir apparent, which means something else that I've got. (laughs) So... uh, Louis Charles died when he was only 10, and that was uh, oh. centuries previously. I'm 
Wow, so royalty, basically. Yeah, royalty. Ex-French loyalty, and now he's ended up in Battersea, driving a, <laughs> driving a family mad. In the house. Yeah. Uh, just to uh, regress slightly, I suppose, I'm just going to read a little excerpt of Shirley describing some of Donald's incidents. And this is all a quote. He got all my dolls that were kept in a trunk in the attic and brought them downstairs. He'd cut off all their heads and rip off bits of my clothes before leaving notes telling me to make dresses out of the material. If anyone made him angry, he'd write punish on a piece of paper and you you knew you were in for it that night. One time, a typical Battersea boy was being cocky with Donald, shouting, Come on then, do your worst. And then suddenly, a bowl of nuts flew right over his head. And Shirley says she never saw the boy again. <laughs> oh, 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 wow. Don't mess with Donald. Mm, but I mean, that, those doll heads, like being... So morbid, isn't it? Mm. That's so creepy. It's like she's... It's like every script from every horror movie has been pulled apart and all the highlights have been put into a Battersea household. Yeah! Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that boy is that, that poor boy. <laughs> Come on, then. <Yeah. laughs> I bet you instantly regretted that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh. I mean, but by the way, when I said Shirley says she never saw the boy again, I think she was just alluding to him being scared away, if not some kind of sinister disappearance. Yeah, and he was never seen again. Yeah, maybe he had a peanut allergy or something. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But because this went on for so long, Shirley apparently grew to see Donald as an annoying sibling. She eventually got married and moved with her husband to Bognor Regis, where they had their son, David, and a daughter, Karen. But get this, Donald followed them there. Oh, no! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, apparently he was, not only did he follow Shirley and her new family to Bognor Regis, but he would write letters uh, in the old family home to Kitty and Wally, telling them all the things that uh, Shirley and her husband were getting up to, and did the same vice versa for uh, Shirley about her parents. So he'd be like, they're doing this back in Battersea, and then he'd tell Shirley's parents, oh, they're doing this in Bognor Regis. That's so strange. It's like a little telltale. Yeah, literally like a little telltale. Mm. But one day in 1968, just a reminder, this all started back in 1956, so 12 years later, Wow. I feel like I keep saying wow in this episode, but... (laughs) (laughs) Wow. 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 Um, Yeah, no, it's fine. This is a a shocking case, so your wows are greatly appreciated. Um, So, yeah, 1956, this all kicked off. In 1968, on just one random day, Donald fell silent. He left a final message with Shirley's parents saying he would leave the family in peace and simply put goodbye. Shirley said... Just like that? Just like that. Twelve years later, no big dramatic exorcism or no... no anything. Just one random day, he's gone. Poof. Shirley said the day it ended, her and her dad danced around the room. But interestingly, Shirley's mother Kitty actually went into grieving. She felt like she'd lost a son. Oh. I don't know, that's a bit strange. That's very strange. Uh, it is strange, but also 12 years. 12 of years or something. Something in your house, I guess. Yeah, you would feel attached. I guess if you know after all that. I suppose. Yeah, get a little, a little attachment to your ghost pet. Yeah. You know, people get attached to like Tamagotchis and stuff like that. So <laughs> that's very true. I guess it's not that shocking. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but the mysterious key was never seen again after it was first found, by the way, in those 12 years. It was never seen again? Never seen again. What? What was the key? The question 
that I think we should all be asking, and I think many people will be asking, is was this a haunting or was it a hoax? So I've summed up some points to try and help people decide. I'll get you I'll ask you this a few times. So what do you reckon? All this crazy stuff, twelve years is a long time. Do you reckon this was a genuine haunting? Genuine poltergeist? Or do you think that there's some something afoot? It's difficult, because, like you said, 12 years is a long time to continue something. I think it depends. Were the, were the family getting a lot of attention on, and from this? And, like, were they famous, known to be living in a haunted house? And were they getting money from it? Uh, so, for money, I can't say for sure, but they... They got famous for a while, so well they wouldn't. I don't think they were ever famous. I think they were no, really. like a sense of intrigue for the journalists and the media, but they that definitely wasn't for the duration of the twelve so, years. I think that a lot of what happened is very stereotypical to the poltergeist. I think that maybe it began innocently, like there was some activity. They saw maybe some attention that they were getting from it, and then maybe exaggerated what was happening to continue it. So it turns it more into a hoax. So you think there's like some embellishment going on? Yes, I think so. Interesting, interesting. Um, so one of the things that stood out to me, because there's there's a huge number of things you could. T- I mean, in the BBC doc, they uh, BBC podcast, they talking a lot more depth about each little thing but some of the things that stood out for me in this question of hoax versus haunting uh ethel's the incident with ethel's mother you know the irish voice oh yes Hmm. a psychologist on the podcast talked about a phenomena called contagion that could explain how as a group the family began to create this scenario in their collective heads where they all hear irish whispering so, you know, I think the way that works is one person says, like, oh, does everyone hear that whispering? And then maybe everyone does. And then someone says, like, oh, it sounds a bit Irish. And then you kind of, you, you're creating a story together without realising it. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. And your brain then, I guess, starts tricking you into hearing that tone or or, or that thing. I can see how that could work. Yeah. However, it's a big however. The psychologist struggled to explain how a full-blown conversation could happen and how it could impact Ethel so severely. Because remember, the, yeah. I said that Ethel went to speak to the ghost, for, uh, speak to the voice for a, a few moments. Yeah. That shouldn't be possible if, if as a group you're coming up with this scenario. Yeah. That's very true. Oh, I don't know. So the second big important thing is that the letters that were written were inspected by a handwriting expert. Donald's letters appeared to show signs of over-embellishment of the curls. This suggested it was being written in a way where the writer was covering up their true handwriting. Oh! The handwriting expert was asked if a letter that was written by Shirley and a letter supposedly written by Donald could have been written by the same person. Uh-oh. The handwriting expert said, I'm certain that they have been written by the same writer. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Now, in the BBC podcast, they actually take this to Shirley and they say, well, well this is what this uh, handwriting expert thinks. What do you think? And Shirley says that it definitely isn't possible. However... She hypothesised that maybe it was Donald taking her over if she had written the letters. That sort of, uh, mm, that sounds like a confession. Yeah. I don't know. Not very convincing. No. <laughs> like, it wasn't me, but if it was me, then it wasn't me because it was Donald taking over me. So you're saying that the pen was in your hand and you were writing it, basically. I think that's what she alluded to, yeah. Hmm. She's covering all bases. It's like, yeah, okay. But interestingly, Chibber himself was sceptical of Shirley. So when he first came to the house, I think that was his initial prognosis, was that she might have been 
creating these whole story things. Yeah. He would so what he started doing and he records this in his notes is that he would test Shirley. And one time he took the only key for a room in the house. And when he returned to that room, he he found letters inside. So he's got the only key to access a room. Yeah. He's come back and he's found the letters inside that room when in theory no one else could have got into it during that time period. Oh, so oh that is yeah, again that's that's strange. Then I'm going back to ah. Oh. So confusing. So, going back to your initial theory, in Chibbert's perspective and written in his notes, he believed that it was a mixture of the genuine with some embellishment. Oh, okay. So, yeah, what do you think? I think, yeah, I I think I I agree. I I think that it started off genuine. It started off haunting, and then. They started maybe to exaggerate different things that had happened um, with some embellishments. Yeah. What about you? What do you think? Um, I'm kind of torn. Even though that last point with the handwriting, when that when they talked through that, I was like, oh, well. There you go. This is obviously baloney. But there's still this element of, this went on for so bloody long. Yeah. 12 years. Other neighbours and, you know, other people getting involved, like Mr. Chib, and and that is a long time for anyone to keep up a charade like that, if, if it is. So, the other thing as well is that I think any ghost story that captures others, like, that brings people along, needs someone to convey some something genuine. Yeah. And... Surely has, at the very least, convinced people at the BBC that this story is worth doing a documentary podcast on. That's very true. And when you listen to her talk, you do get this feeling of there's something genuine here. Do you think that maybe, because Shirley was so young, she was 15 at the time, maybe she, you know, it was genuine, it started off true... Maybe it was her parents that were exaggerating it and Shirley was kept in the dark through it all and had no idea that it was going on. So her reaction to it all is genuine and she do, does truly believe that it continued for so long because she was none the wiser. Yeah, that is possible. That is very possible. Or it could just be that she's a great liar. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes people, you know, she was young. This is like seven, 60, 70 years ago. As it got to the point where she's almost internalised it so much that, or normalised it so much that she now believes it anyway. That's very true. You know, you, how, if you say it to yourself enough times, you start to believe it. I do think, with the parents thing you say, I think that because this went on for so long, 12 years, because so many reporters came to the house and that a sceptical chibit was there for so long too. Yeah. That it would be impossible for Shirley to pull it off on her own. Yeah. So it would have needed some others to have at least turned a blind eye to things or... Yeah. yeah. Very true. Oh, it's such an interesting one. There is one more theory <laughs> that the podcast talks about. Yeah. I know throughout the whole thing I've been mentioning mostly you know, Shirley, obviously, Kitty, Wally, and Chip. But if you've got a good attention with detail, you'll mention that... Oh, and of course Ethel, sorry. But if you've got good attention to detail, you'll remember I mentioned one more person in the house. That was Shirley's older adopted brother, John. Oh! And one psychologist theorised that it was actually John who could have been the orchestrator of this. No! And at this final at this final stage of the episode, we have one we have time for one shocking fact. Yeah. Until John was eighteen, Shirley's brother John grew up believing that he was Ethel's son, not Kitty and Wally. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. So for eighteen years, his he thought he was made to believe that his grandmother was his mother and that his parents were his siblings. <laughs> What? And he was distraught when he found out. So he messed with them. He could have done. Possibly. 
<sighs> yeah, I mean, that would, would have been a traumatic thing to learn. Oh my gosh. That's so, that would be so strange. Why did they do that? I actually never really got a good answer for why they did that. I guess and it was just maybe that they were too young. Yeah, and it's easier if they, yeah. But maybe they weren't married. Yeah. I mean, there must. Yeah, I mean, it ha- it does happen, but oh, that that would change your. You wouldn't believe. Um, yeah, you wouldn't trust anybody. I think after that, that that you'd find it really difficult after eighteen years of believing one thing, and it's all a lie. All false. Oh, maybe it was him. Yeah, Shirley said that he carried the pain of learning that his parents weren't who he thought they were. To the end of his life. Ah, oh, wow. But yeah, that's that's everything that I've that I've taken down on this case. Brilliant. I, I thought it was really interesting. I, you know, like I said, I haven't listened to the whole thing, uh, but I do think, from what I can tell, that the, the podcast is really good. The BBC won't so Yeah. Yeah, go and check it out if you if you want to learn more because they definitely do a more thorough job than what we have time for today. Sadly, definitely, I definitely will have a look at that. What a brilliant case, and thank you, Claire, for suggesting that one. Because yeah, that was yeah, it was wild. Yeah, wild. So, so much stuff. So much. <laughs> so like, I wanted to include. I you know I mentioned it now. At the time, I was like, "Cool, should I include this?" But I was worried the episode would go on for so long. Like Chib goes to like places in France to try and investigate <gasps> if Donald's is this Dauphin Louis Charles. Oh! Yeah. details in the letters and oh it's so, so invested there's a lot of ins and outs of this but that's so random if they made it up why did they choose that person that is where oh there's so many questions <laughs> <laughs> that would be such a weird person to pick some 10 year old heir <laughs> apparent in france so strange wow what a story incredible I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for sharing that one, Greg. Really, really enjoyed it, for sure. Well, I reckon we will when we post this. We'll maybe with the initial post or later in the week, we'll do a hoax or haunting poll. So, do you want to share the socials for people that want to take part in that? Yeah, definitely. If you want to share with us any of your true crime or paranormal stories, then send them to our email address at goreandguiltypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on our Instagram at goreandguiltypodcast and join us on TikTok at goreandguiltypodcast. But yeah, so thanks for listening and remember, we won't judge if... Gore is your guilty pleasure. Woo! Thanks! Thanks all. Bye!